You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Sing for the King, recorded on Sunday, September 16th, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Harvest Community Church. If you're a first-time guest, welcome. My name is Mike. You may be sitting in jail tonight or today, or you may be um, in Freeport, Pennsylvania, or Indiana, or the Petroleum Valley, or even in India. I am in lovely Catanning. We are one church in four locations and a few others who like to peek in. And uh, welcome. We're going through 1 Samuel, the first 17 chapters, all the way up to Christmas. That's a lot. Now, I realize that for many people, many books of the Bible are completely uh, unsettled un, uh, territory. You, you haven't even traveled into them, why others have. So um, you might be wondering, how can I understand First Samuel? How does it fit into the Bible? And um, so what I'm going to recommend you do is you keep up by reading the chapter the week before. We're on chapter 2. We'll be on chapter 2 next week. But I also want to recommend a commentary, and I don't normally recommend commentaries. Commentaries are normally, they can be that thick, they can be that thick, they can be two volumes that thick, and they're normally written about one book of the Bible. One, I have two by Daryl Bach on Luke. So Luke is that big in your Bible. His com- he has two volumes that are that wide, right? And that's good, because really smart, pointy-headed scholars like to get down deep and figure out what everything means in the original language and everything about the original culture and what everyone has, has ever said about it, and they, and they help you interpret it. But the reason I wouldn't recommend those to people um, is because it's like recommending an encyclopedia. You know, it's useful when you need it. It's not useful all the time. But I happen to have come across one um, by a guy named Dale Ralph Davis. First, it's called First Samuel, or One Samuel, by Dale Ralph Davis. It, you can read, you can open it and just start reading. And it's like he walks you through the text. He's a delightful writer, very upbeat and has a good sense of humor, which you don't, you never find that in a commentary. But he's also a pointy-headed scholar. So he's got the pointy head and all those letters by his name, but he also has, it seems to have a pastor's heart. Um, I'm, I'm getting about 20 of them in, and I'm trying to get some to the campuses, but you don't have to wait for me. You can go to Amazon. First, I, I recommend this commentary to beginners, people who don't know the Bible, as well as to some who are very familiar with it. Again, if you're taking notes, that's Dale Ralph Davis. Dale Ralph Davis. Um, okay, well, we're going to jump in now. This, this is a song. Most of first... Uh, first uh, Samuel is narrative. That means story, right? And, and, uh, but this, this 11 verses we read is a song. It's meant to be sung. It is sung by Hannah. Hannah uh, is, has, just, has just been begging God for years to give her a baby. Then finally, she wrestles uh, with God and, and comes to peace that whatever he does is going to be fine, but if she does give him a boy, she's going to bring him and give him to Eli. And what do you know? God opens her womb, gives her little Samuel. Samuel's probably around four years old. She comes up to see um, Eli, the priest, and says, here's my little boy. You take care of him, and I'll visit him from time to time, 
but I promised the Lord I was going to give them to the Lord and I'm going to do that. And then she breaks out in song. Now there's no reason to think she's a natural songwriter. The Holy Spirit has inspired this song. Think about that. The Holy Spirit inspires songs in the Bible. He inspires music. Why? Because music is something you can do. Um, You know, uh, there was a song by the Donut Man, and if you have little children, get the Donut Man. He's all over Spotify. He will teach your children the Bible. I can't remember exactly how it went, right? But it said like, like the little lamb goes bad, and the big old cow goes moo, and the doggy goes rough, rough, and the kitty says you too. He really says meow, but it wouldn't rhyme the way I just said it. And he says, but then he then he points out in the in the chorus but there's something you and I can do they cannot do as well we can praise the Lord we can praise the Lord we can clap our hands and stomp our feet and make a joyful noise and that's really true the animals don't praise the Lord you can you can do this magical thing called singing I know just about every one of you maybe one there's one person in here is completely completely music autistic. You just don't get music. But the rest of you, and I don't know who you are, but there's always one, but the rest of you listen to music all the time. It's a human thing to do. The Holy Spirit inspires songs. Just think that through. And God wants us to use songs to worship. And so I don't know the tune to this song, but we're actually studying the lyrics of a song here. Um, and it's Hannah's song. It's a Holy Spirit song. Um, now, I'm going to tackle it like it's not a song and try to look at the content. I realize that removes all the magic from it. I guess what I should do is commission um, someone in Harvest Need to write a melody for this, and we'll all sing it once you get that. But till then, I'm just going to attack it for its content, okay? And you can imagine, I bet this would be better if I knew the melody. It would have been, but this is all you get. So here are some observations regarding the text. Number one, Hannah's joy is in the stability of God, not her circumstances. Hannah's joy in this song is apparent. She's happy. It's a happy song. She's giving up her four-year-old kid, and she's gonna miss him, but she's happy anyway. She's been through... Uh, years, for those of you who weren't here last week, chapter one shows us she's been through years of, of tumult that ended in anxiety and depression and kind of a nervous breakdown right in front of a priest. And, um, but then God met her and, and she had the son that he promised and now he's presenting her to Eli and, and the son to Eli and she says this, going back to verse one, my heart exalts in the Lord. That means, it, exalt means lift up, right? It, it, my horn or my strength, some translations say one, some the other, both are ESV. That my strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies. Why? Because I rejoice in your salvation. There's none holy like the Lord. There's none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Her strength is because God is a rock. You know, when you're, when you're feeling weak, you normally feel like the whole world is shifting sand, right? Like, I can't control these things. I can't control this area. I can't control that area. I can't control the things I'm afraid of. I can't control the things I need to do. I'm in, not in control. I'm weak. That's what we call crisis or trouble or trial or difficulty. And she's saying, no, there's something that just doesn't move. It's a rock, and that's God. 
And that's where her strength is. She's saying there is no one like God. Perhaps people struggle to find God because they try to make him into a human. You know, like the Greeks? The Greek gods are dumb, but they're interesting. You know, right? They, they, they go around having extramarital affairs with each other and with humans, and they, they get mad, and they get envious, and they get proud. They're a bunch of sinners. And, and, and maybe we make God too small. Well, Hannah's not. She's saying, there's no one like God. How does Hannah know this? Hannah's had a lot of rough years. So there, there had to have been a point where she didn't know this. And now she does know this. There's two ways to know things, right? You can know them because you know it's true. And you can know them because you experience them. Right? For example, I could tell you Limburger cheese smells awful, tastes awful, and leaves a coating of oil on your tongue. Now, I'm guessing most people hearing my voice have never eaten Limburger cheese. If you're in this room, now I can't look at all the rooms, but whatever rooms you're in, raise your hand so everyone else can see. How many of you have eaten Limburger cheese? Okay, in the room I'm in, I see three, four, five people. Okay. You all now know that Limburger cheese smells it tastes horrible and leaves a coating of oil on your tongue. Those four people and me, we also know it. But do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? We know it differently. We know it differently. So I can tell you God is a rock. And you can know it, but not know it. And that is why God tests and tries us. He wants to get us to the point where we know it. Because some of you will believe it just because you know it's in the Bible. And you're, and you're right to do so. But until you go through the storm and realize nothing holds still. Everything else is shaken but him. Okay, now you know it. Like I know that Limburger cheese leaves a horrible coating on your tongue. You literally want to scratch your tongue to get that stuff off. Who invented it, why they invented it, and why does anyone like it? So here, let's take this down for our map. People who have wrestled long with God and surrendered to his way and his will, his way and his will, I should probably put a comma there, discover that even pain is in his hands. They know that all pain and all trials are temporary. And God always restores those he loves. Is God deeper than your difficulties? You're going to say, yeah, that's the right answer. I'm in church. You're right. It is the right answer. But do you know that God is deeper than all, all your difficulties? Well, by experience, you know, there's no way to find out except to be in a very weak, compromised difficult position and you remain faithful to God you don't run off into sin or run away from him or run away from what's right you remain faithful and you think nothing can save me and boom you find out that there's no pit so deep that he is not deeper still that's how you learn that God is deeper than your difficulties and I don't mean to scare some of you because some of you say well I've never figured that out um, <laughs> the 
Are you saying bad times could be coming? It's exactly what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying they will, but the odds are good. <laughs> but what, what is the result if God teaches you to know that he is greater than your trials, which requires him to bring you to your weakest point till there's nothing else. Either he's real or you're not going to get out of this thing. What's the result? The result is, well, there's a lot of good results. One of them is you start to brag, but your bragging is all in God. You stop bragging in yourself. You don't run around saying, I can take it. Your enemies will say, yeah, well, you're a loser, you're an idiot, you're dumb. You're too much of a smart aleck. You're not good. You're not. I'm trying to remember all the things people say about me because they all say it. And then you know what happens? You can say to your enemies and critics, yeah, you're right. In fact, I'm worse than that. I'm even weaker than you think I am. I'm dumber than you think I am. My motives are more sinful than you think they are. I'm less capable than you think I am. And I'm a bigger idiot than you know I am. But guess what? I'm in the hands of a God who is not weak, not an idiot, not sinful, and he's got me. You start to boast in the Lord. You move your boasting. Satan loses power. Look at you. You can't do it. I know, Satan. We've been through this. (laughs) It's much better than, oh, he's right. I'm such a bad person. Hannah went through a storm for a good reason. And, and in Hannah's song, watch, she'll confront pride. She says, now because God is a rock, and because there's no one like him, listen to where she goes. Talk no more so very proudly. Don't tell me how great you are. Don't tell me how you got it all together. Yeah, you Christians, faith is just a crutch for you. I know. I know it is. Well, I don't need that crutch. No, you don't. What you need is a lot of booze. That helps you get through. <laughs> you don't need a crutch. You need booze or you need, you need money or you need your sexual weirdness and your power. You need, you need someone to show you some respect. You don't. Let off your arrogance. You're not that impressive. In the world of men, you're not impressive at all. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Now, who can brag before God? Who can brag before God? Uh, Bragging is never attractive among humans, is it? It never works for long. You can say, hey, we won the Stanley Cup. We didn't win last year, though. Bragging's gone. Who can go to God and say, look at me? All religion is wicked, even if it has good stuff in it, because it's all a way to go to God and say, look, I'm good enough. And you haven't learned the first lesson. But if you get to a point where you can say, my only boast is God, guess what? (laughs) 
Not only can no one boast before God, no one can boast against his children. No one can say anything about me. It just, are you saying no one has the power? Oh, they got the power. But it just doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what they think. You know, Paul one time, writing to the Corinthians, they, were, they had a bunch of people saying what an idiot he was. Because apparently if you come out and teach the word, there's always some people who are going to say, you're an idiot. So they were saying it to Paul. You know what he wrote in Corinthians? He says, I don't care what you think of me. I don't even care what I think of myself. There is one who judges. So not only can Hannah not boast before God, but no one can criticize Hannah. She had had a rival. Penny, the other wife. You couldn't have babies. She's like, well, that's okay. Your taunts don't matter to me anymore. I can see how dumb I was to worry about what you thought. If God is immovable, strong, and safe, if God be for us, who can be against us, the Bible says. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? You, you, you can't know what it means until God has tested you, tried you, and beat you up for a little while. You can know, but you can't know. Hannah discovered that God is for her, that God's greatness is sufficient, that God is deeper than her suffering because God shoved her through trials. Every single man, woman, boy, or girl that God accepts, he shoves through trials. And not just once, your whole life long. Your whole life long. There's not an exception to this rule. If you're looking for the, the Christian life that, that, that's trouble-free, <laughs> there isn't one. But God's at work. Hebrews 12, 11 describes what Hannah went through. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Painful? The woman was lying on the ground. She wasn't eating. She was getting skinny. She had bags under her eyes. She was like, I wish someone would hurry up and invent Prozac. <laughs> I'm hurting here. That's painful. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God trained Hannah by trial. God brings and uses trials and difficulties in the lives of everyone he loves. That includes you, includes me. Now I tell you, here's where a lot of Christians are washed out because they're not really Christians. When trials come, they run. They ditch God. When trials come, they run. They weren't really Christians. You can hang out in church and keep coming back to church your whole life and not be a Christian. How do you know? Trials come, they run. Seed falls in the thorns. When the difficulties come, they run. But if you hang in there and remain faithful, you'll learn you're weak, he's strong, he's a rock, and, and you'll have peace. Paul articulates this, talking about himself in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Paul has planted a bunch of churches. Paul, if you, if you don't know the, the Bible well yet, let me tell you, in the New Testament, there are two people who are the biggest people in the Bible in the New Testament. One is Jesus. Now, he's way high, so no one can match him. But way, way, way down, second height is Paul. This dude's incredible, right? Nearing the end of his life, God takes him up and shows him heaven, in a vision. 
And then he sends him home and he says, okay, now I'm going to give you a thorn in your side, a messenger from Satan. We don't even know what it is, but I guarantee you, if it's a messenger from Satan, it ain't good. You're walking down the street and that little clown jumps out of the the gutter. You're like, "Ah!" it's got to be worse than that. And he said, God, would you take it away? God said, no, I'm not going to take it away. If I did, you'd get proud because you saw things no one's ever seen. And so he said, okay. And Jesus said to him, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient just means this. It's going to hurt. You're going to not like it, but you won't die. That's all that means. It's going to hurt. You're not going to like it, but I got you. It's not the most comforting thing. You never want your dentist to say that, right? It's going to hurt. You're not going to like it, but you won't die. Well, for my power is made perfect in weakness. If you're weak, people will see that I'm the power, not you, Paul. And Paul says, okay, I get it. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly that I'm weak. So when his critics yell at him, he says, I don't care what you think of me. I don't even care what I think about myself. Sure, I'm weak. But the power of Christ must be planting these churches and doing these miracles then. And that's to his glory. Okay, the second observation. God is sovereign over all the earth and all things. Now, we don't always use the word sovereign. Many of you know what it means. For those of you who don't, sovereign just means in charge. God is sovereign over all things and the earth over all the earth and all things. He rules everything. Jesus rules everything. Did you know, here's a fascinating fact for you. When Darwin died, he believed that the cell was the simplest organism, right? Like a brick that you make human things from. And everything else was more complex. Like your hands and fingers are way more complex than a cell. Because look at them, there's five, you know, it's not a, right? A chicken. See, I got a chicken on here. In honor of Darwin. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I just like to wear this chicken shirt <laughs> for my friend Sean. You can ask why later. But it turns out, now that we can really see what's inside of a cell, that the most complex and amazing machines that we know of are actually the tiniest things inside a cell. This is why the theory of evolution doesn't exist. There's no theory for the tiniest things. There's no way you can get these machines. But, but that's, that's not all. Let's go farther. Did you realize that quantum physics is a field of physics where no one has seen whatever it is they're looking at? They actually are guessing what must be the smallest thing that makes everything go because of its effects. No one knows how everything just holds together. And then you got the, the millions and billions and gazillions of planets and all that stuff swirling around. And the Bible says, God made all things and holds all things together. Jesus, God, is sovereign over all the universes. He's sovereign over cells. He's sovereign over quarks, and no one knows what those are. He's sovereign. He's over everything. 
So he's over the construction of a sheets. Right? He's over when your hair turns gray. He's over nations. He's over the earth. He's over if a, if a minnow is born. Abraham Kuyper famously said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! Hannah, through the Holy Spirit, declares the same sovereignty. The Lord kills. The Lord brings to life. The Lord brings down to Sheol, or the grave, and the Lord raises up. The Lord makes poor. The Lord makes rich. The Lord brings low. The Lord exalts. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. Who will die in 2019? You don't know. I don't know. God knows. God determines. Who will live? You don't know. God chooses. Who will be rich? Who will be poor? You don't know. God knows. And he chooses. Who will do good? Who will do evil? All things are under the rule of God. Now, there's people who feel they have to defend God's honor and remove his sovereignty. Where was God when 9-11 happened? Where was God in this hurricane? Where was God when such and such happened? And they think, when bad things happen, some teach, God has nothing to do with that. Someone gets raped, God has nothing to do with that. He's nowhere near. Really? Does that mean he's powerless on 9-11? When the planes are flying into the World Trade Towers? Was he powerless? When you lost your loved one? Why on earth did you pray? Dear God, there's nothing you can do. Why am I talking to you? In Jesus' name, amen. Is that, was that your prayer? Why call on him in a storm? The fact is, God is sovereign over all things. He never does evil, but all evil needs his permission. So, so if a bad guy gets in his head to kill somebody, God's killing that guy? No, the bad guy's killing him. But he needs God's permission to do it, whether he knows it or not. The guy lives or dies based on God, not him. My friends, this is comforting. The alternative is horrifying. The alternative is you live in a universe where God is anemic, weak, and helpless. When you're in a storm, you need to know God knows exactly where you are and can handle this. And, and, and there is no need to fear because he is shepherding you. This is a truth we can know, but we need to learn to know. And you need, you'll learn that lesson your whole life long. Your days are in his hands. Let's, let's write this one down. No harm will come to you in this life. If I stopped there, you'd be like, yes, but I'm not gonna stop there. Accept that which he ordains. Some people say, God only gives you what you can handle. That's close to true. I know what you mean, but it's not true. Sometimes he gives you so much you can't handle it and you break. 
And then you find out if he will hold you together. And if he ordains it, he will rescue you from it at the proper time. Anything, any trial coming into your life, God will rescue you from. You'll say, well, what about the Christians in China right now who are being killed for their faith? You may not have known it or whatever. Did he rescue them? He absolutely did (laughs) at the proper time. If he let you starve to death, it's time to die. And he knows best and you can trust him. Hannah learned that. She's sitting there giving away her four-year-old or he's probably around that age. And she has no other kids. I can trust you, God. Three, God reverses the fortunes of mankind. Hannah was childless, anxious, hopeless, and depressed. God reversed her situation. Now she's happy, at peace, knows her God, praises her God, and she had a baby that she has to give away. <laughs> and listen to what she declares. Verse, and this is from the Holy Spirit. So God wants us to know this. This woman is, is, she doesn't know it, but she's speaking of things too big for her. She's explaining things she does not understand completely. They make sense to her because of her experience But as you look at the whole Bible and the themes of the Bible, she's hitting some pretty good notes. She says, the bows, that would be this kind, because that's what they use for war, of the mighty are broken. But the feeble bind on strength. You're watching a fight between a big old dude, a little tiny dude. What this is saying is the big old dude breaks his arm and the little dude beats him up. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. People who, are, who, who, who have enough to be fat. Americans. <laughs> or having to hire out just for bread. Just pay me bread. I'll work all day, just give me bread. But those who are hungry, they're not even hungry. I don't need to work, I'm not hungry. The barren has seven children, and she who had many children is forlorn. The Lord makes poor, and then he makes rich. He brings low, and he exalts. So you're high, he puts you down. You're low, he picks you up. If you're poor, he makes you rich. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. (laughs) He takes the street person, goes over to Rooney up at the box at Steeler Stadium and says, Rooney, out. <laughs> Throws him in the gutter. Street person says, boom, you own the Steelers. He's like, hey. <laughs> By the Holy Spirit, Hannah is, is hitting a heavy Bible theme. God's rule brings a reversal of fortunes to the world. Though vigorous young men stumble badly, Yet they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. It's all over the Bible. The second born of the patriarchs, right? They are. Abel was greater than Cain. Jacob was greater than Esau. Joseph was greater than all ten of his brothers. But first he had to be a slave, and then he had to be a convict in jail. Then he was risen to rulership. All these things that she sang with her mouth are in the Bible, and and she's actually foreshadowing her own son. Because we're about to meet, next sermon, 
Phineas and Hophni, these horrible people who are the priests of Israel. And this little son from out in the desert, this little boy, is going to be risen up, and they're going to be lowered down. And then it goes farther. Her son will become a kingmaker. And the king, the great king he makes, David, he's the seventh and the least and the one least likely to succeed. How about in the New Testament? Do you know when Mary, Mary got pregnant through the Holy Spirit and she goes down and sees her old aunt Elizabeth who got pregnant by her husband but the Holy Spirit helped because she was too old for it. And, and then she, the Holy Spirit comes up in Mary and she breaks out in song, right? She sounds a bit like Hannah. Let me read some of what she said. Luke 1, she said, he has shown strength with his arm He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and he's exalted those of humble estate. Who could be more humble than Mary? She's a poor woman from Nazareth. (laughs) He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Do you see the reversal of fortune in Mary's words that she spoke when Jesus was in her stomach? And of course, Jesus declares when he was a grown man, the kingdom of God is completely a reversal of fortune for the entire planet. When he comes in his kingdom, everything is upside down. The familiar words maybe, Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, people die. People are sad. If you can think back to a time when someone in your life died or maybe it's been recent, how are you feeling that day and those days? Well, you will be comforted. People who are meek, they shall inherit the earth. Those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, satisfied. The merciful shall receive mercy. The pure in heart shall see God. The peacemakers will be called the sons of God. Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness sake. What? Blessed are you when the Chinese government bulldozes your house, shoves dirt in the pastor's mouth, drags them down the road, and throws them into jail. Blessed are you when that happens. What do you mean, blessed am I? That's my worst day. Ah, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Wait a minute, I just block them on Facebook. (laughs) Right? Those are the people I don't want to talk to, the people who persecute me and utter all kinds of evil against me falsely. On the account of you, Jesus, blessed are you. What do you mean blessed? Rejoice, be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets. So well, you see that reversal of fortune? Let's write this down. God turns the kingdom of this world on their heads. You don't, don't fear the great ones of the world because <laughs> they're going to be upside down one day. So this leads to a natural question. Then why do evil people triumph? Why are these people who hate me get over on me? Why do bullies beat beat me up? (laughs) Why does the person who stabs me in the back get the promotion and I don't? It doesn't seem to be working out right now. Why are faithful people destroyed? The answer is the story doesn't end when you die. In other words, you may not get that reversal of fortune until he returns. Can you wait? You can only wait 
if Christ is your treasure. If this world is where you want to be, you won't be able to wait. That's why trials weed out the chumps. But for those who wait, the reversal of fortune isn't fair. You don't get what you deserve. You don't get what you've earned. You get way better than you deserve. The last one to come to work, works one minute and leaves, gets the biggest reward. What has God got planned for you, Christian? If you're faithful throughout this at times difficult and at times wonderful life, what has he got for you? 1 Corinthians 2.9 What no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined that's what God has prepared for those who love him. I don't even know what he's got for you. But what do you like best? Sex? It's better. Ice cream? Better. Steak? Better. Time with friends? Better. Come up, I don't care what you come up with. Concert music? Better. Gnarly new Ford? Better. Gnarly new Chevy? Better. Gnarly new Maserati? Better. Bentley? Better. I don't care. And the reversal of fortune is, is the, one of the major motifs, to use that fancy word, of the Bible. Because there's no greater reversal than the cross. Jesus was defeated and killed. That's not a victory. Right? Death, he, he was destroyed by death. His enemies won. But then, on the third day, he destroys death and gains the victory. The Savior takes his destruction at the hands of Satan and men and he uses it to purchase the souls of all who will believe in him and forgive our sins. And by being willing to die, he goes down into whatever death is, he finds its spine and he goes, crack! No more are you powerful over humans. That's a reversal of fortune. That's why it's okay to get old. Because you're older than God. Because God doesn't decay. People wonder, how old am I going to be in heaven? My uncle told me, I think you're going to be 30 because it's probably the peak age. Quit thinking so worldly. You don't know what it's like to have a, a supernatural body that can't decay. So go ahead and get old. Be proud of it. Don't be like these Hollywood types. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're not, you're not going to make it long. And it's going to be like this. That. You'll be dead soon. Some of you live a long time. You think, but I was in the graveyard with my wife yesterday because we know how to have a good date. <laughs> and even the 80-year-olds have been dead for 100 years. But it don't matter. Because Jesus, the Savior, went down there, found the spine of death, and went, you ain't going to work on my people anymore. That's a reversal of fortune. You get up from the grave. That's a reversal of fortune. You have eternal health. That's a reversal of fortune. You have eternal wealth. 
The humble are lifted up. This is why on this earth, don't be proud. Jesus said, God will exalt the humble, but he will bring low the proud. All right, fourth, the Holy Spirit reveals God's plan to bring a king to Israel. And this is the last one. God, the Holy Spirit, reveals God's plan. Hannah is singing a song. And in the end of the song, a king pops up. Here's the problem. Israel has no king. They've never had a king. At this point, they've only been a nation for 200 years. They, you know, they left Egypt, all that business. And they never had a king. God said, I'll be your king and we'll let priests teach you my ways. Well, the, the priests were blowing it. And God is going to give them a king. Her son Samuel will be the one to anoint the first and second king, and the first one is going to be worthless, a waste of skin. God doesn't want them to have it. They demand it. Okay. The second one is the one after his heart, David. How? Why would she put a king into the song? What does she know? Could she have read Psalm 2, where God shows that he puts his king above all the earth? Well, no, because that was written by King David, who's not yet a king. (laughs) In fact, he's not even born yet because her son Samuel is going to anoint the young man. How does she know? By the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Hannah is revealing a truth from heaven, and she doesn't even know it. Her son is going to be a towering leader, and he's going to anoint a great king. That king is foretold right here, but I I think it goes farther even to Jesus. But he says, look, the, the, the enemies of the Lord are broken to pieces. Who are the enemies of the Lord? Those who do wickedness. My friends, I'll say it again, I'll say it a thousand times. If you want to make America great again, America needs to repent of sin, not be wealthy and beat the Chinese. Yeah, we have a lot of wealth right now. It's doing great. We're also slaying 750,000 babies in the womb. We have naked folks having sex on our TV. America ain't great. Not in God's plan. Ho, <laughs> ho. Enemies of God. Those who do wickedness all over the planet. And God will crush the nations for their wickedness. So who will he pick up? Those who are faithful to him. Now, he says in here, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He'll give strength to his king. The king David is going to rule in Israel, but he is not judging the ends of the earth. This is a reference to another king. I think we got a double prophecy here, and she didn't even know it. She's just singing a song. She probably thought, hmm, what word do I need? King will rhyme. No, no just kidding. <laughs> but look how, you might, look how Jesus is described in the New Testament. Christ, I'm jumping into the end of a sentence, a very long sentence, Ephesians one twenty. Christ, when he, this is God, Christ, when God raised him from the dead and God seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority. So there's a man named Jesus from Nazareth. God picks him up and he says, I'm putting you right here where I rule. And you're above all authority. That makes him the sovereign now. 
and the sovereign is the king, right? And above all power and above all dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. I'm taking a man from Nazareth and I'm saying, you're the king of the world and not just the world as it is now, but the new world. You're the king of everything. You're above every name. Won't be a name above you, not China, not the United States, not Trump, not anything. And he put all things under his feet, gave him his head over all things to the church. That's us. You see, God made Jesus Christ the king of all things at all times. Now, here's the difficulty with that for some. Only God can judge all people. Jesus is a man. A man cannot be the king of all things, can he? He can if he's also God. Our claim our startling claim that the world can't handle is that Jesus is God. Oh, I respect your Jesus. He was a great teacher and all that. But that's all. No, no, he's God. By the way, Christian, if he's not God, there's no salvation. He is God forever. He humbled himself. He did his own reversal of fortune. He, he had everything. He gave it all up and impoverished himself to become a human being, to grow up in Nazareth, a nothing town. And then to die for a bunch of people who hated him. He went, he reversed his fortune the wrong way, in a sense. He did it because God loves us, wanted to save us. And then God reversed it back. He says, now there's a man as well as God who's sovereign and Lord over all things. Think about that concept later in lots. Jesus is God, so yeah, he's sovereign. But because God made he, he Adam a body to him, now there's an actual human being who rules all things. What's that mean for humanity? The next time someone tells you that uh, we gotta do something to rescue whatever gutter puppy is out there but doesn't care about abortion, say, look, <laughs> a human being rules the universe. There ain't no minnow or dog or whale that can say that. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. Jesus is the great king that Hannah, by the Holy Spirit, was referring to ultimately, and she doesn't even know it. How should you respond? I'm going to tell you how. I, I mean, the most practical thing I could say course is if you're suffering don't sin stay faithful trust God seek him but you figured that one out already you're not dumb now the response when someone is singing a song with all her heart is to sing along so what I'm going to say is join her it's time to see God as your only rock and the only one worth it and it's time to start singing to him because only you can do it. Donkeys can't do it. Dogs can't do it. You can do it. Holy Spirit wants you to do it. So let's all do it. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.